Hey there everyone and welcome to this week's teaching from Cornerstone Church uh, in Rathrelland. You are welcome, uh, to it's good to have you with us today as we share from God's Word together. Today we are uh, beginning a new series, we're beginning the series of the Gospel of John. We've just come out of Exodus and we are beginning this new series and we'll be in John for quite some time heading into the, the near future. So that's where we are today. John chapter 1 and verse 1 through 18. It is good to have you with us. I want to ask you a question as we as we begin this series. And it's this. Have you ever noticed how the Gospels begin? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Have you ever taken notice of how they all start? Well, of course you have. You've been around Carl services. You've been around uh, for a number of Christmases. And no doubt you'll have heard the beginnings of the gospel. They usually start with uh, Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus, the angels, shepherds, and so on, the stall, wise men, all of that. Mark is a bit different in, in that even when we go back to when we studied Mark uh, a few years back, when we went through the gospel of Mark, we noticed in Mark that Mark was always in a hurry. He always wanted to get to the next thing. So he, that's where he starts. He starts and he just goes, 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 boom, 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 through his gospel. He goes straight to the baptism of Jesus and John the Baptist as he begins his account. We have Matthew, Mark and Luke. And those are the gospels which are, are commonly known as the synoptic gospels. And then we have John. And John begins his gospel in, a, in an altogether different way. He doesn't try to bring Jesus in in some way that we're not sure who he is or or some sort of superstitious way that we, we, we think sometimes the other gospel writers bring Jesus. No, no, no. John just says it as it is. He comes right out from the beginning of his account of the gospels and he, and he, he just nails it. He just says who Jesus is. John tells us up front. And it's interesting to see where John begins because he doesn't even begin, as it were, from an earthly perspective. No, he goes further back than that. He goes back to creation. And it's almost as if his eyes are not turned towards the earth. They're turned towards heaven. And he begins by writing some of the most sublime words in Scripture. Some of the most sublime words in all of literature, actually. In these opening verses of John, John introduces us to the centerpiece of the whole gospel. Usually these verses, the, these first 18 verses, are known as the prologue of John. And John's gospel can then be divided into what, what we would say two parts, really. So the first 12 chapters, uh, John introduces us to the signs that Jesus did, alluding to who he was. Jesus gives us his identity through his miracles and, and, and the, the acts that he performs. John will add this every now and again, every now and again, and you'll spot this as we go through the gospel of John. He says, this is the first of the signs, or this is another sign, or, and so the first 12 Chapters of the book are, of the book of John are known as the book of signs. 
And then, and then further on, we have the second half from chapter 14 to the end of the gospel. Jesus withdraws, as it were, from the world and focuses on his ministry, focuses on his ministry with the disciples and those he would call to himself. He explains some of the most profound mysteries to the disciples about who he is and about the mission that he's on. And of course, in this, in in the, in the final uh, chapters of John, we we remember stories like the upper room, or the high priestly prayer that comes in in John chapter seventeen, and all those things are before us. But we want to get started today at the beginning in this prologue uh, of John. And as I say, these are some of the most important words that there are. John, the Gospel of John, the second half, if the first half is known as the Book of Signs, the second half of the Gospel of John is known as the Book of Glory. And so in John, we have these two parts, chapters 1 to 13 and chapters 14 to the end, the Book of Signs and the Book of Glory. And that's where we're going to be going over the next while as we study God's word together. So that being said, uh, and just giving that little bit of a heads up on the introduction to John uh, and, and the way that he begins this, let's just dive into this because the reality is that there's so much in these first 18 verses that there's no way even today that I am going to be able to cover all that I would love to cover, all that I would love to say. It's just impossible to do that. And so in the time that we've been given. But So what I want to do is just jump in and see what the word of God tells us from these, these first 18 verses of John. So let's just do that. And the first thing we come across is this. Is that Jesus existed before creation. Jesus existed before the beginning of creation. Now as I said there's... there's the book of signs and the book of glory but there are stages in which Jesus glory is revealed throughout the book of John and throughout even the first 18 verses here in John chapter 1 and the first stage here is to do with the origin of Jesus look at the opening two verses in fact don't look at the opening two verses just look at the opening three words there's three words in English, but there are two words in the original Greek. In the beginning. In the beginning. Now, those of you who have your ears open will recognise those words from somewhere else. In the beginning. Those of you who have your ears open will immediately go, I've heard those somewhere else and I know where I've heard them. Where have you heard them? You have heard them in the beginning of Genesis. Right back at the start of the Bible. And John opens up his gospel with these same words. In the beginning. That's the way the Bible starts. That's the way John starts. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you see what John is doing here. John is taking us back further than any of the other gospel writers. 
He's taking us back to a time when there was nothing. Matthew goes as far back as Abraham uh, in his first chapter, but that's not far enough for John. John really wants us to understand who Jesus is. And so he takes us right back before creation. John is saying, if you really want to understand the glory of Christ, you need to understand that he has always been. That he has always been. You have to go back to before there was any matter, before anything was formed, before particles came together, before forces came together, before any molecules were formed on the earth, Jesus was. And John says that's where you have to start. And what John is saying is this, that the moment creation came into being, the word of God, namely Jesus Christ, already was. He already was. He already had existence. And if he was there at the beginning, then Jesus Christ is not to be thought of as part of creation. He is uncreated. He's not part of the world. He's not part of the universe. He's not part of the solar system. He's not part of anything that was created. He was there. The word was with God and the word was God. He has existed from eternity past. We need to stop, just pause here for a moment because John is stating something very, very important. That there is much debate about in different religions. The words was with God and the word was God. That's important. Jesus is God. Now, you might say, well, I know that. That's pretty obvious. Well, it may be obvious to you, but it is not obvious to many world religions. And it makes a difference. This is one of those times when wording makes a difference. Wording makes a difference in the world. For any of us who are interested in football, this season has been marred, let's just say, by the the, the new rules around handballs. And they've, they've changed it several times throughout the season. But the wording matters. The wording makes a difference to the ruling. Because if you go by the letter of the law, then that's the letter of the law and the wording matters. And in this instance where it says the word was with God and the word was God, those words matter. They matter. By the way, it was a definite penalty for Man United last week. Just saying. Words matter. For instance, Jehovah's Witnesses in the New World Translation, they resort to a translation of, like, like this. The word was with God and the word was a God. Not God, but a God. Some sort of like lower tier demigod type being. 
amongst all other gods. You see, that may sound wonderful and it may sound even accurate. But it's not what John says. It's not the point the gospel writer John says or wants to make. He says the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ is God. Now, why is that important? Why is that important for us? That's important for us because when we go through the gospel of John and we will see his signs and we will see his miracles and we will see all that he does and we'll lead right up to the passion of Christ and we'll see him crucified and we'll see him buried and we'll see him rise again. That is God that is doing that. It is not some demigod or some lower tier second rate idol. No, it's God. It is the creator of all things who is being crushed for our iniquities. Punished for our sin. And that makes all the difference in the world. Makes all the difference in the world. So when, when John opens up here, in the beginning, he goes right back, takes us back to Genesis. Carries that through and says, in the beginning, the word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus Christ was there. Pre-existing creation. And he is God. Part of the Trinitarian God that we love and we serve. And that matters. Because it was that same God, Jesus, who died for our sins. And that makes a world of difference. So that's the first thing we, we really see here in, in, in John's gospel. John wants to come right out and say who Jesus is. Jesus is God. And the second thing we pick up on very quickly is from that then, that Jesus is the creator. Jesus was there before creation, but he is also the creator. If the first thing has to do with the origin of Jesus and that he was uncreated, the second thing has to do with creation. Look at what it says in verse 3 and 4. Two things he tells us. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He's saying two, at least two things here. He's saying that Jesus himself created everything. And he is the one that sustains all things. That is. Jesus made everything and Jesus sustains everything. Creation and prov the providence of God is in Jesus' hands. And that may be unrecognised by the world. It is unrecognised by the world. But look. He is God, not only because he pre-existed with God from before creation, but also because of the characteristics of who he is. He creates, he upholds, he sustains. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Now, why is this important to John? Why is this important to the gospel writer? Because one of the things that John will want to tell us 
is that part of Jesus' ministry is this. It is to recreate. Recreate. You know, the reality is that if you're a follower of Christ, you have been recreated, as it were. Paul will tell us that if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. And so part of the ministry of Jesus was to recreate. And that's what takes, that's what takes place in the heart and soul of a believer. When they come to Jesus, when they, they repent of sin, when they turn to him, part, part of what happens is a recreation, being made new. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. When we go through John, as we progress through John, and we, we come to the, to, the, to the resurrection and when Jesus appears to the disciples in, in chapter 20, there's this beautiful part of that passage where he breathes on the disciples. It can, it can really go unnoticed. It's such a fine, small detail in, in, in the general theme of things. It can go unnoticed. But when Jesus uh, meets the disciples, he, it, it says in John, he breathes on them. That's what it says. And when he when he had, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." John twenty twenty two. And we'll get there when we come to that passage. But this is a just a beautiful picture. Jesus comes and breathes on his disciples, and often, and most commentators I would I would have read this week say mistakenly so. Some people interpret this that, that this is a, like a, a foreshadowing or a, a pointing towards uh, the, the coming day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit will be poured out. But most of the commentators that I've read this week say that that's not what's happening here. What John is referring to actually is again when we look at where, where he begins in the beginning and when we look then at this act of cre recreation, what John is saying is that he is recreating all things. And when he breathes on the disciples, it takes us back to Genesis again. It takes us back to God creating out of the dust. And when he cre creates man out of the dust, what does he do in them to give them life? He breathes on them. And he gives them breath. He breathes life into what he had created. And it may well be here that what, that what John refers to, Jesus as the creator and sustainer of all things. What he wants to allude to is that Jesus is the one who is coming not only to make individuals new and recreate individuals, but he is coming to recreate everything. He's coming to recreate all things. That's what we're told in scripture. And Jesus is the beginning of that new creation. Jesus is the beginning of that new creation. And so we're told him that everything comes from him. And everything is sustained by him. And we know, don't we, that the culmination of the new creation will be the new heavens and the new earth. We know that's where we're heading. But what does it mean for us now that Jesus began that new creation? 
the culmination will be the new heavens and the new earth. Because sometimes I think it's easy to look back. It's easy to look back at Jesus and think, yeah, Jesus is the start of that new creation. It's easy to look forward uh, and think, right, okay, the new heavens and the new earth is coming. But what does that mean for us now? What does that mean for you now as a follower of Jesus? Well, I think it means two things. And the first thing I think it means is this. I think it means that if we are in Christ, we are being made new. Jesus begins the process in us when he makes us new. Paul says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. And that process begins of being made new. Now, sometimes, and I want to say this, sometimes when we hear that verse from Paul, we can be disheartened. Because when Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, we can look at that and we can think, okay, Paul, you're saying that Every man is a new creation. And that must mean that that's perfection. A new creation. Surely surely newness means perfection, right? I don't think that's what Paul means. I think when Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. What he actually means is, is that Jesus has come into that life and is beginning the process of making him new. Because the reality is that we know as followers of Jesus, we feel we know that none of us are perfect. We know that we make mistakes. We know that we sin. We know that we do wrong. We know that. And so there's not perfection there. And so when we hear that verse, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, sometimes we can become disheartened because we know the reality is that we sin. But what we're looking for here in this instance is progression, not perfection. Progression, not perfection. Jesus comes and makes us new, gives us new desires, gives us new inclinations towards loving and obeying God. That's what it means to be made a new creation. It doesn't mean perfection. It means that we have been given a new heart and new desires and new an inclination to love God. That's what it means. And we are on this path of sanctification towards being made new. And so I want to encourage you today that, that God is not looking for perfection, but progression. And so the tendency we have when we fail, when we fall, is shame, distress, a running away from Christ. Whilst all the time we may take two steps forward, one step back. He wants progression and he wants us to come to him when we sin and when we fall and when we fail. He wants us to come to him, not run away from him. He is, we are being made new. Be encouraged by that today. Do not be disheartened by the fact that you may look at your life and you may not see much change. But go towards Jesus, not away from him. So I think that's one of the things it means for us now as believers that, that Christ is the creator and sustainer of all things and he is recreating us. But what else, what's the second thing I think it means for us right now that, that we are part of this new creation that is being made? What I, what I think is what goes back to one of our core values in Cornerstone Church really. And one of our core values is that we are kingdom carriers. And what that means really is that where, where we go, the kingdom of God goes. 
as followers of Christ, we have been given the power, the, the spirit of God that indwells us. And therefore, no matter where we go, the kingdom goes. And we are to be part of this recreation that God is, is involved in in making all things new. And so where we go, the kingdom goes. And so where we go, the kingdom uh, traits go of newness of life, of joy, of um, contentment, of fruit of the spirit. That's where we go. And the kingdom goes with us. And so, how does that affect the world around us? Well, I think it has to make a difference, does it not? I think part of that, us carrying the kingdom, we are part of this recreation project that God is involved in and God is carrying out in our world today. So there's two things, I think. Just because Jesus is a creator, sustainer of all things, we then are being made new in our own personal selves, being made more into the image of Christ, but also then where we go, the kingdom goes, and we see the kingdom traits and its characteristics play out in the world where we are, or at least we should. At least we should. And so that's what I want to say about that. But Jesus is the creator. Jesus says, you can do nothing apart from me. And so we have to believe that that's true. We have to believe that anything good that happens from us or in us or anything godly that happens in us or from us is not from us, actually. But it is from him. He is the one doing the recreating. He is the one producing fruit. He is the one who can change us, not ourselves. Not ourselves. So much of what we see today in Christian circles and coming from the church is nothing more than self-help. There's no dependence on the Spirit. There's no looking to Jesus to create in us a new heart. It's five steps to this and it's seven steps to something else. Jesus recreates. No one else. Not us. So let's look to him for that and not to ourselves. The third thing that we see today in, in the prologue of John here is this. It is the Son of God took on human flesh in all its form and all its weakness. So the first thing has to do with the origin of Jesus. He was there pre-existence before creation, pre-existing before creation. The second thing has to do with creation. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. And the third thing then is has to do with his incarnation. Because the glory of Christ is seen not only in the origin, not only in the fact that he is a creator, but in the fact that he was incarnate. He came to earth. Let's look at this, this text here. Verse 5, the light shone in the darkness. Verse 9, the light, the true light was coming into the world. Verse 10 and verse 11, he was in the world. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And, and when, when the Bible talks about flesh, it, it literally just means taking on humanity and its weakness and its frailty. That's what it means. 
So what John is saying here is that when Jesus was born, when Jesus became incarnate, when the only true God took on human flesh, he took on humanity, as the Shorter Catechism puts it, in its low condition. In its low condition. Jesus didn't come and be born with all the trappings of worldly pleasure. He didn't come and just hover over us as some spiritual being. No, he actually physically came and took on human flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. John says in verse 14 that he tabernacled among us. He tabernacled among us. He actually uses that word, tabernacle. Now what's the significance of that? Do you recognize that word from anywhere? Well, you should. If you have been following along at all for the last few months, you should recognize that word. It comes from Exodus. We have been looking intensely over the last few months at the tabernacle and what that meant. And what is the significance of the tabernacle? The tabernacle was this. It was the only place where a holy God could meet with a sinful man. Do you remember the names for the tabernacle in the Old Testament? A tent of meeting because that's where God met with his people. This is where the glory of God shone in all its magnificence. And yet it was the place where sinners could come and have fellowship and communion with God. When John says that the word tabernacled with us. And that he was God. And he made his dwelling amongst us. And he took on flesh and blood. And he came into this world as a human being. He lived in our social and our physical and our spiritual environments. What he means by that and what he's trying to say by that is that he, God, shared our pains. Shared our frustrations. You see what John is saying uh, the word was made flesh. He is saying that what, what the author of Hebrews says, and, and for any of the ladies who have been going through Hebrews, you will recognize this verse. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Folks, Jesus knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it is to be exhausted. He knows what it is to be thirsty. He knows what it is to stand before a tomb and weep. He knows what it is to have his back lacerated with whips. He knows what it is to have uh, rusty nails pierced through his hands. He knows what it is to have the crown of thorns pushed down on his head. He knows what it is to be betrayed. 
He knows what it is to be lonely. He knows what it is to be single. He knows. And that is just a little glimpse of the glory of Jesus. The word made flesh. He knows. The incarnation shows us that he knows. And honestly, I don't think there's much more, many more beautiful words than that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see why now it's important, the wording that John begins with. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God came down. God took on human flesh. God suffered. God knows pain. God knows all those things that I just listed. And he sympathizes with us in our weakness. And so in the prologue, and as I said, we don't have time anywhere near enough time to go into this the way I would love to. But in the prologue, prologue, we have Jesus existing before creation. He is God. He has always been. He will always be. He is the sustainer, creator and sustainer of all things. And yet he took on human flesh, identified completely with the created And here in the prologue, we see two responses to all of that. One response, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Folks, this is the response of many to Jesus. They simply do not recognise him for who he is. His own created beings don't recognise him. They don't recognise the creator, the sustainer, the one who came and gave himself for us. I wonder, is that your experience to date? You've heard about Jesus. You've maybe thought some thoughts about Jesus. But you've never recognised him for who he is. You've never came to a point in your life where you were like, Jesus is God. And if he's God... And if all the claims that he makes in scripture are true, which we I believe, obviously, they are, then you need to do something with that. And there's only two responses. As we'll see here, there's only two responses. There's one, you don't recognise him. You don't see him for who he is. And the reality is that that leads to eternal death. And punishment. And hell. 
But there's an opportunity today when you've heard who he is to have a different response. Let's look at the second response here. But to all, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But of God. Those are the two responses. One response is not to recognise him. The other response, for those who receive him, those who believe in his name, and that's literally as simple as the gospel is. Jesus comes, reveals himself to us. We see him for who he is. We see our sinful selves. We see we need him and we believe in his name. We are forgiven. For those created beings who do, who do recognise him, for who he is, who believe in his name, he calls the children of God. Not because of our goodness. Not because of our ability to believe. Not because of anything that we have done. But the crux and the crucial words in this verse are these. But by the will of God. It is him who calls. It is him who sustains. It is him who recreates. It is him who keeps. It is him, him, him. All the time. All the time. And the purpose of the prologue is this. Not to just help us understand. But to give us a perspective of awe. As to who Jesus is. God. Creator. Recreator. Sustainer. Incarnate. And he loves us. And he's for us. And my hope and my prayer for us today, wherever you're listening to this, is that we have a bigger, more awesome picture of King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the faithfulness of John to write down these words for us. Father, I pray that we would today have a better picture of who Jesus is and love him more daily for it. Oh, Father, give us a love for Jesus. Help us to know him. Help us to know that he knows us and can identify with us in our weaknesses and still love us completely. Thank you for the gospel. It is good news to weary sinners. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name I pray. Amen.